Welcome to the Husband Material Podcast, where we help Christian men outgrow porn. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. Today on the show, we have pastor, former pastor, Bernie Anderson with us, author of Breaking the Silence. Welcome, Bernie. Hey, Drew. Thanks so much, man. It's good to be with you. Looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. And I'm also looking forward to our weekend retreat coming up when you will be joining us as a leader too. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't, can't wait for that. That's going to be uh, really exciting in this, in this virtual space where it seems all of our, you know, what, what would typically be in-person gatherings are now, you know, everyone's uh, shifting and, and having to pivot to online, but I'm sure it'll be just as impactful. And so I'm looking forward to it, man. Absolutely. Yeah, me too. So you're going to be leading a group and you've been leading groups for many years. Yeah, yeah, it's I love it. It is it is a part of my personal recovery journey continues to be and I just love connecting with the guys and I particularly for me I lead a a group of pastors right now and uh that just is very life-giving to me and so yeah, looking forward to the context in which I'll be leading for you as well. So. Yeah, and I was so encouraged to hear you say that you've been meeting with that group for years. Years, man. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, probably five to six years now. And uh, it's changed a little bit over the years, but it has it's just kind of a pillar of my personal recovery. And, and the guys consistently, you know, give me feedback saying, hey, we, we need this and we, we value it big time. So yeah, makes a huge difference, man. <laughs> yeah, that's special to have a group that is that committed and that goes deep and, and stays with yeah. each other for the long haul. And speaking of yeah. the long haul, your journey goes back way long ago. <laughs> yeah, you Tell trying the to story. remind me how old I am, aren't you? <laughs> 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 oh man. Yeah, no, it, it does. It's um, you know, if you if you think like like most, you know, American men, um, I was exposed very early on. And in a sense, the journey began there as it does with, you know, the typical, typical American, you know, adolescent, uh, you stumble across pornography or someone introduces it to you uh, out of a joke or something like that. But for me, I just kind of stumbled across it. And there was, uh, there was a seed planted. There's, uh, you know, there was this exposure and this intrigue and, and I knew it wasn't, probably good, but it really looked inviting and attractive. And so it had me interested. And so, um, yeah, at, at the point at which I could then make the choice to go and seek out porn myself, I did. Um, e- even then, I, I still had even more accidental, uh, you know, contact with porn or, uh, you know, exposures to porn. So, um, so it was just part of that, my growing up years and, and after, you know, I think there comes a point where it just kind of just becomes kind of this crutch or this thing that you quietly, you know, just indulge in, if you will. And yeah. that, that was me, um, you know, all through my adolescent years, even as I became a Christ follower in my teen years, it was a source of guilt and shame. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's a, fairly common story for, for, for many, but, and, and that's my story too. And, um, so coming through, you know, those years trying to figure out how do I, how do I get rid of this stuff? Um, 
you know, I, I desire it, but at the same time, I don't want to do it. Um, and yeah, it, it was just, just this constant struggle. And, and then you begin to feel like you're living a double life, you know? And so for me as a, as a teenager and as an adolescent, I would, um, I think I would just involve myself in everything in the church and the youth group to kind of make up for, you know, the, the foolishness I was doing when nobody was looking. And um, that pattern continued into my, you know, young adult years, college years, and, and even into pastoral ministry. I always kind of felt like I was at a, this deficit and I needed to do better, be better, make it up for what I was doing when nobody was looking. And all along too, you know, every, every prayer was God, you know, can you just take this away from me? And God, I'm sorry, uh, but I just can't stop. And I mean, it was, you know, it was just constant that way. Um, and I, you know, I, I believe the myth too, that, you know, that if you got married, then you wouldn't have this issue. This wouldn't be a struggle for you because it was, you were now able to legitimately have sex. And I, but I deeply sensed that there was more going on with me, you know, even in those early years, uh, there's something more going on here. It's not just this sex thing. So I always tell people today, I say, it's not that I had a sex problem per se, as much as I had a soul problem. And, and I really believe that's true. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that there's something deep within us that is tweaked and uh, porn taps into that brokenness and it's easy to latch on to. And it's, and it's, I, you know, it's funny. It's like um, I, I discovered porn or I stumbled across porn. And, and so I, I got a hold of porn, but in time it's like porn gets a hold of you. And it gets yes. a hold of those those broken spaces, those broken mm -hmm. places in you. And we just learn to cope. Um, right. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it gets a hold of us. I like to say that porn is a pacifier. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And yet, at the same time, it's also a predator. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the enemy right. is riding on the back of this predator trying to steal, kill, and destroy us. And yet, we are attracted to it because it's doing something for us, specifically Absolutely. for some of our pain and our wounds. Absolutely. And as you said, some of the things that are tweaked in us. And as you began to go deeper on your journey, what did you discover at the roots? Yeah, um, I think what I discovered was a deep sense of brokenness, um, a deep sense of abandonment um i i've never had a great relationship with my father um i although at the same time i will give my dad great credit because he was there in the early years um but after a divorce you know after my parents divorced uh, when i was hitting hitting those adolescent years the, the teen years they 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 split during kind of those crucial years there's a real separation and a real rift that was created because he pursued a career that would take him far, far away many times. And so there's just a gap there. And so I think back to both the divorce and the sense of loss of a relationship and abandonment. And those were wounds that, that I'd never really addressed. In fact, I can tell you this, Drew, I remember, I remember when my parents got a divorce and, and, and feeling that pain as a, as a young guy, 
but then crying out to God and just praying to God. And I said, I said, God, I don't know if this is right or not, but I'm going to divorce my dad. You know, it's a really terrible thing to say, isn't it? I, he divorced my mom. I'm going to divorce my dad and you're going to be my dad. That's what I told mm. God. And so I think I lived with that mindset. And, and again, I'm a 13-year-old kid, 12 or 13-year-old kid. I'm just coping. I'm coping with the pain. And the yeah. way that I'm coping with that sense of rejection and abandonment is to say, well, I don't want you either. I don't, I don't need you. I don't want you. All I need is God. And I got my mom. That's all I need. And, and so I lived that way, man. And, and it was, uh, uh, and, you know, but that, that was the way I knew how to cope. But what I couldn't escape was that woundedness and the pain and a need to still, you know, you know, deal with that, med- medicate that pain. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. And Go that's ahead. really interesting to me because especially as a pastor or as a ministry leader, mm-hmm. we hear somebody say, God, I want you to be my father. And that kind of sounds like what we preach. Like (laughs) we tell people for you, it had a different quality to it. Oh, it did. Yeah. It it was a replacement. God was a replacement. And I, God would never want us to replace our earthly fathers. I don't believe um, regardless of the pain that they cause. Now, obviously I think God would want us to relate to our earthly fathers in the most healthy and appropriate way, because there are terrible things that have been done by earthly fathers to their children. Right. Um, yet at the same time, God calls us to love our enemies and, and to, to practice this unbelievable, radical mercy and forgiveness towards yeah. people. Right? So there was a sense of bitterness and resentment. Absolutely. That you were yeah. still carrying with you. And absolutely. And just having a close relationship with God is still so good. It's just oh. not necessarily going to solve the emotional pain. It's not going to solve all the problems, right? Because again, I mean, the two great commandments are to love your love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. So I see every earthly relationship as a neighbor relationship. It's a, you know, if it's your mom, dad, cousin, brother, whatever, it's your neighbor. And God calls you to love and so, so I still have this, but you know, Hey, we, we figure out ways to get through life. And, and so mine was to put my father in that, in that compartment, if you will, and then to medicate the ongoing pain with porn essentially, and, and just trying to be good and trying to do everything right. Trying not to be like my dad because my dad divorced and he failed. Right. So I don't want to be like that. And, it, and so it's, there's there's these weird, con, you know, con, contradictory issues going on inside of you because on the one hand you're trying to be really really good, but you're really really bad when nobody's looking. But you you judge the person that you deem to be really bad. This <laughs> is like, come on. So it's super yeah. unhealthy, right? Super unhealthy as a person. Um, but it's the way I was able to just make it through. Um, and then at, then further down the road, as I, you know kind of went into more of an, an addiction to pornography and it all came to a head. One of the places that helped me to have a breakthrough to recovery was to deal with what I just talked about was to just really honestly mm. say, hey, dude, you were so messed up with the way you dealt with that, you know, and, and your dad's not all bad. And, 
you can forgive and you can, you can address all those issues and you can admit that you were hurt and you can admit that those wounds existed and you can find healing and you can, you can move on. So, yeah, I mean, that was, those were some of the drivers. Those were some of the root issues. You know, if you're asking me about what were the, what were the root issues, those are ones that were really significant for me um, that I had to really address before I could find um, any path towards real recovery. Yeah. <laughs> I've lately been realizing that porn is familiar mm, mm. in a couple of ways. Number one is maybe it's been with us for a long time, years or decades. Right. On the other hand, it's familiar. Like it relates to our families. Absolutely. Yeah. What was going on or what wasn't going on that should have been going on. Exactly. Yeah. Sins of sins of omission too, as well as sins yeah. of commission, if you will. But it's it's just the one of the guys in my group, I'll say it this way, one of the guys in my group that I lead, you know, even now, this day, every Tuesday night, he says pornography is the was the longest relationship he re, relationship he had had with sex. I was wow. like the longest rela- sexual relationship he'd ever had. I was like, mm. huh, I never thought about it that way. That yeah. you know, that think of it in terms of relationship, but it underscores the reality of the fact that we were that we were made for relationship. We were created for intimacy and connection. Mm. I think that's what the first few chapters of Genesis teach us. And if we if we can't have legitimate, authentic relationships, right, we will settle for the false intimacy of, of you know, inauthentic relationships or inappropriate relationships. So, um, you know, I think it's chapter three, it's chapter three of Genesis where God kind of confronts Adam and Eve and he goes looking for them in the garden and he doesn't see them anywhere. And he, he says this, there's this great question there and it's, and it is, where are you? <laughs> right. He's like, he's asking out of me, where are you at? Where are right. you at? And, and it's, and that's always fascinated me because I'm like, dude, you know, you're God, you know where <laughs> they're at. It's not like they're, they can, you can hide from God, but I think it's a deeper question because it may be more of a question of the soul. And that is like, where are you? Yeah. And that was a question that I had to ask myself. Um, and it was a question I was asking myself all along. I would always come back to him like, where am I? Here I am back at this porn thing again. What am I doing? Where am I? Where am I? You know? And, and it wasn't until, man, I kind of hit that rock bottom place and looked around and said, Oh yeah, I know where I'm at. And it's not mm. a good place that I began to sort of climb out of that hole. But again, I, I would go back to the idea that, relationship is so 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 vital and when relationships get out of whack um we go looking for something to fill that that hole right and porn is this great i mean you don't experience any rejection you don't yeah i just called porn great i apologize for that that (laughs) that is not true at all all right porn is not great but it it mimics greatness and goodness and it's effective it's effective, exactly. And so, so porn is always sitting there. You have a legitimate desire and need for relationship, connection, and intimacy. And it's the perfect imitator of those things. So it makes mm-hmm. sense because we're built and wired that way that we would latch onto it. Um, but pretty soon we find out real quick that, that it, doesn't, it doesn't deliver what it promises. And we find ourselves, again, longing for right. legitimate, authentic intimacy. 
And that's so good Mm -hmm. because we come to porn thinking, I need this sexual experience. I need whatever this fantasy uh, is providing for me. I need to satisfy this urge. Right. But in the end, if we feel worse, well, was it really that urge that needed to be satisfied or was it something deeper? Something deeper. It always is. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. And, and again, if we never acknowledge that or become aware that's the that's the thing again it's kind of like porn creates this fog right you you're not processing even with your brain you're not processing at a high level processing with a different part of the brain that that doesn't allow you to make crucial real decisions um and so you get caught up in the fog and it's easy to live that way with a lack of awareness for years and i did man i was exposed at age nine and it wasn't until age 33 that the light finally came on. <laughs> you know, there were there were moments along the way where I'd be like, you know, something's out right here. But uh, let me just go back to this. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and you just you just get caught in the cycle. And not to mention other dynamics, because relationships are hard. And if you get if you're married, if you're trying to raise kids, if you're um, if you're at work, you you don't you're not feeling you know appreciated or satisfied all these different dynamics and you get distracted with everything. You can never address the deep parts of your soul and, and you can just live that way. You just kind of live numb. And so I think, you know, it's so, so vital and so important for us as believers, as men, as Christ followers, whoever you are to always be able to take time to, to really think deeper and address issues of the soul. And I, I just think, I think, I think the, the enemy's greatest uh, weapon is the weapon of distraction. And all porn is, is just a big old silly mm. distraction. And it's, and it's, and it causes you not to address what's really going on in your, in your soul. And so just drives me nuts, man. <laughs> man, that's good. <laughs> yeah. It's a distraction. It's a distraction. It's a, it's a simple uh, sleight of hand. Um, I think one of my, one of my, one of my, the, one of the people who, who've been very instrumental in my recovery calls it dark magic. And that's all it is. It's a dark magic. And it just, it, it, it promise, it, it has you looking over here at something. And then at the same time, you're just getting your, your gut ripped out because, you know, it, it just hollows you out, right? It, you know, my, my wife, if you were to ask her for the first 10 years of our marriage, you know, what it was like, and she would simply respond. She would say, well, he just wasn't there, right? Because the impact mm-hmm. of porn is such that it, 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 you become invisible, essentially. You become hollow. You're there, but you're not really there because you're constantly preoccupied with porn, right? And all this is happening while you're leading other people and being oh. used by God. <laughs> Yeah, that's the crazy thing. That I'm a pastor, man. I I I since God calling me into pastoral ministry when I was a teenager. So when I was um you know, I was 12, 13, 14 years old, I believe God called me to be a pastor. And so I I headed down that track and that was my trajectory. I'm going to go to school, to I'm going to get a theology degree, I'm going to graduate and I'm going to I'm going to look I'm going to get in, I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to go get a master's of divinity. I'm going to I I knew exactly where God wanted me to do what what God wanted me to do and where he wanted me to go. And that's the path I took. 
Um, but there's always this conflict because remember back at age nine and through my teen years, I'm, I'm looking at porn and I'm like, ah, pastors probably shouldn't do this. Right, God. And so, you know, yeah. so it's, it's, there's all this stuff going on with me. And then, you know, here's the double life as I get into pastoral ministry is um, I, when nobody's around, even in my, in my church study, uh, I'm, I'm looking at porn. I mean, just plain and simple. And in fact, it's probably in the first, boy, the first, well, my, my, my first 10 years of, of marriage were my first 10 years in pastoral ministry. And so I, wow. you know, I started to make my way deeper into porn in that first 10 years. And uh, I, I th- that's when I became addicted. I, I would say I was mildly addicted back in those, you know, college and so forth. And then I became full-blown addicted in my those first 10 years of pastoral ministry. So I was heading down real quick. <laughs> heading down, you hit rock bottom. Yep. You're yep. looking at your marriage and your ministry wondering what's going to happen. Right, right. What's going to happen? It's like, and, and probably my biggest fear is, is just that um, probably more my family, even than the job, um, although that was, that was, I think the embarrassment of that is more of what scared me because it's just embarrassing. Oh, you know, here's a pastor who has a moral failure and, you know, and there's another one. And, and I didn't want to be that guy. Uh, but at the same time, more than anything, I never, ever wanted to disappoint my wife. I did not want to break her heart. And, and so I kept it hidden as long as I could, right? Like every guy does, you, you just hide and you, and, and, and yet at the same time, you're getting more reckless because you're an addict. And so you, your lies aren't getting, aren't any better. You just, there's only so much lying that you can do. There's only so much hiding you can do. And so that's actually how my wife discovered it. I mean, she gets on the computer one day after high speed internet is introduced and we have it at our house and, and she gets on the computer after I'd been on one of my binges. And she sees in the drop down, you know, menu all the junk, all the sites I'd been to, and she, um, she was just, you know, she was obviously dumbfounded. She was and, and devastated in that moment. And um, you know, we were. It was a couple of days later that we were getting in the bed one evening, and she uttered those words that strike fear into the heart of every man. Uh, Honey, we need to talk, right? And she said it. She said it in a way that we need to talk. And, and I was confronted with the sin and the, the reality of my lie right there in that moment for the first time ever. I'd never, no one had ever confronted me yet. No one ever knew it was my deep, dark secret. And in that moment, I was, I was sad and disappointed and, and we cried and we wept together and she uh, embraced me in that moment and said, okay, all right, now I know we, we'll get through this. And Sadly, you know, it, it, it wouldn't be that simple, right? Because again, as we know, addicts, you know, until there's a real breakthrough, until I, need, I needed to come to the realization of my own brokenness and sin and decide to make a change. And I wasn't there. I was just disappointed that I'd gotten caught, right? So I went back to it and kept getting caught. And I went back to it and kept getting caught. And, um, Sadly, you know, it just kind of came to a head to where she, my wife was kind of done and she 
kind of had to say, you know, I'm, I've, we've got kids here. I've got to take care of them. I got to think about their future. I got to think about holding all of this together without him because he's not here and he's not helping me. My pastor husband is not being a spiritual leader. And so she decided to leave and, <clears throat> you know, I began to pick up on this, 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 this could be a possibility that my wife could be leading me, leaving me. And that, that got my attention a bit. Um, but still I was, I was still not, I was still, you know, heading down that dark path. But while she was away and what I didn't know is she had decided that she wasn't coming back. She, she had always taken a trip in the summer to, to see her parents. And, um, it was always during that time that I struggled big time because I was at home by myself and it was just me and you leave an addict alone, alone long enough and we're going to act out. We're just going to, we're going to do that. And sure enough, you know, there I was binging on porn and it was at the, it was this one evening while she was gone. I had the house to myself that I just kind of threw my hands up and said, God, this is, I, I don't want to live like this anymore. This is, this is not the way to live. And I'm, I don't want this anymore. And so, God just kind of whispered, and I think he'd whispered this all along. He said, you need to tell somebody. <laughs> and I'm like, really? That doesn't seem like a wise thing to do, right? I'm a pastor. I, I don't think you're supposed to tell people that you look at porn if you're a pastor. And so, um, but sure enough, I, that was the path. That was the way God wanted me to do. It was like he was saying, remove kind of that cloak of anonymity and silence put some light in the dark place and you will find hope and healing and a path towards recovery. So I called a, a, a dear friend and came to my house, thankfully, and I just kind of confessed it. And that, that began a real breakthrough and, and the journey towards, towards real recovery, which where, where I'm at now, what, 16 years later, roughly, and and enjoying sobriety and so forth so yeah praise the lord amen amen brother it's and after you told him that was just the beginning of the path (laughs) it struck me that you gained a lot of momentum and had some really big breakthroughs at a retreat yeah 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 no the the uh every man's battle uh, retreat was one of the things i just chose to go to and and i think people might might assume that the book every man's battle was the content of the conference and that's just not the case there's a completely different curriculum and and focus i'm not you know the the book is what it is and it was the book was helpful to me or early part of my journey it has it has some some solid stuff that i've taken from it uh, but there's a lot better books and a lot better content and material out there that that i refer people to and so but that was helpful. That was, you know, that was, that was what I needed in that moment. But the conference, the, the, the retreat itself, um, I almost feel bad calling it retreat. So, you know, a retreat, it's like, dude, you're a porn addict. You don't need a retreat. You need, you need something more than that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you need, you know, so, but it was, it was, it was in, in a sense, it is an appropriate term because what we need in those moments where there is a breakthrough is space to really, um, engage and take that to the next step yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) i'm thinking about that word retreat now and it it does sound appropriate in terms of a military context like i'm gonna stop fighting this losing battle on my own i'm gonna retreat i'm gonna regroup 
I'm going to get with some guys and we are going to do this together and we're going to take a different approach. Yeah. So you're right. It's totally an appropriate term. I I don't want people to think that it's a, um, a vacation. It's not a vacation. It's, 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 it's work. And I I really do mean that. I think people uh, recovery, if you're doing it right, it, it should, you know, it should be challenging and it should, it should, it should break us almost even more um, to where God kind of, you know, breaks us down and, and rebuilds us. And I mean, you know, if we're yeah. really being vulnerable, not just transparent, yeah. not just yeah. letting people see in, but if we're really being vulnerable, right, that is scary stuff. It's extremely, it's exhausting. It, it'll be exhausting. So, but for me, it was extremely life-giving too. Um, yeah. Man, it was amazing. I, I had just an incredible three, four days, I think is what it was. And there was just, what was affirming was the fact that I heard the stories of other men and I was like, dude, I'm not the only one. No, I always yeah. thought I was the only one. I thought I was, you know, <laughs> surely I'm the only, you know, pastor that's, that's struggling, but there were other pastors there. There were other people there that, that as I heard their stories and I heard the, some of the brokenness in the, in their lives as they were growing up and their, the wounds from, from, from life, um, it, it was encouraging. And there, I built bonds out of that. You know, I wish I could say I still had some of those relationships from, from way back then, but we, I don't. But for a long time there, we, we stayed connected and we, we encouraged one another. Um, but it, 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 was, it was so profound. And it just the teaching was, was so solid. Um, one of the things that you do in recovery is that you're a learner. You are, you are trying to understand and trying to, and you need, you need information, you need inspiration, um, you need, you need to be confronted, you need truth, you need all those things for it to be a healthy, I think, recovery process. And that's what I got from this retreat. And um, yeah, just super. And so I, that's part of the things I encourage guys to do when they come to me and say, hey, I'm struggling, but I really am, am ready to make a change. I say, you, you can't, in, in general, because life is so hectic and life is so busy, it's hard to get well um, when you're working full-time, doing life full-time, busy. So if you can, um, if it, even if it's just a day retreat, try to get alone. Try to get separated from the distractions, the good distractions of life and family and all that, and just focus on 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 getting well on 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 recovering yeah you you have to (laughs) because as you said porn is a distraction yes absolutely can i set aside some sacred time yep to focus yep to go deep to get into the flow so that we can create space for the holy spirit to move and to change yep yep you do. I mean, you need that. You need, I mean, solitude is important for getting yeah. well and, and finding peace. Uh, right. the, hearing the stories and the fellowship with other people is so, so powerful. So, yeah. And there's this balance there yeah. because we do need community. Yes. yes. Isolation is not a good thing. Solitude's no. important though. Solitude's important. Yeah. And that's solitude. one of the things we'll be doing on this retreat is time with the large group, Yep. teaching, learning. We're going to yep. be doing... Some solo time, yep. Self care time, 
just you and God, no screens involved there. <laughs> and we're going to be getting into small groups of men sharing our stories with each other. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I love it. And and I'm super excited about what we're going to get to experience. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that um, it, just the sense of community, because at, at the end of the day, again, what we deeply long for in our, you know, uh, as we think about the, the reason we consume so much porn, because it reflects a deep desire for community and intimacy and connection mm-hmm. and really, but it's just, it's a false intimacy. And so, so when we can get the legitimate thing, when we can get the real thing in a real context with other people who are on our side and for us and cheering us on, it just brings so much life. Um, and that's what I found way back in 2003 when I went to every man's battle. And it's what I find every Tuesday in a group with, of men yeah. that, I, that I lead. And it's absolutely what I believe we'll find in the, in the conference that's coming up that you're leading and that I'm going to be a part of. So, um, yeah, I, it, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and this is not supposed to be – it's the cure for everything. But, like, no. what it did for you was it gave you a taste of what's real. Yes, yes. And you left wanting more and it has become a yeah. pillar of your life. Yep, 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 yep. No, I mean, you know, if I could use an illustration from my childhood, the big, the coolest thing that we did in my neighborhood as a kid growing up is that we would build ramps. And the ramps would, I mean, if you got on your bike and you pedal really, really, really fast and you hit that ramp, you'd go flying and, and you'd, you know, it was just, <laughs> and, and for those few moments that you were flying, it was the most exhilarating thing in the world, Right. Um, and I think in a, in a sense, a retreat is that way. Maybe it's not the best illustration, but a retreat launches you into something pretty special and new. And um, you are going to come back down. That's just the nature of that. I mean, but, but when you come down, you're going to be better prepared to, to move forward in your recovery. And that's what I found. When I left that retreat, I was equipped. I was empowered. I was encouraged. I had coaches. I had allies. I had a community and and it just, it propelled me into um, a six year uh, run of being just, just sober and and free and having a lot of clarity. And the reason I say six years is because after six years, I did kind of a reset and I went back to, um, to kind of reflect on that retreat and to, to think about where I was and God showed me some new stuff. I didn't get to do another retreat, unfortunately, but I, but I did kind of a personal reflection of like, here I am six years later, what's working, what's going on. And so again, I think what the foundation that you build in recovery will, will, you know, will bring about all these touch points even later on in life, because the, the journey changes, the journey changes. It's not the same when I was 33. Now that I'm older not gonna tell you how old, but <laughs> um it's not but it's not it's a different journey of uh, pornography the technology behind pornography has, has grown and gotten you know we didn't have apps when i was walking through recovery uh initially right so so the journey so you have to adjust along the way and if you've had a, a good foundation of recovery started then there'll be some flags that go up that signal oh i gotta i gotta i gotta check back in i gotta i gotta I got to level back out. I got, or I got to get grounded again. And, and remember that, that if I'm, it's not that I'm, you know, white knuckling it. It's just that I want to be aware and I want to live well 
even in a changing reality in this world, I got to continue to have my eyes open, be conscious, be aware, so that I'm so I'm continue to be successful in my recovery. And that's that's what I had to do. Yeah. I love that. The journey changes. The journey changed for journey a lot changes. of us this last year. Oh my goodness! Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I, I mean, we were we were all kind of shut up in our houses, and and we we couldn't. You know, the, the journey changed big time, and so I don't. You know it's hard to know how many people found themselves relapsing back into old patterns because you just didn't have the same rhythms of being able to go out and engage with people. It was all virtual, which virtual can do is good. Um, but at the same time, you, you need to be in person at some level with some people. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't even know how it's affected people, you know, but I know it's had a, an impact for sure. Yeah. I'm sure the researchers will be studying this time in history right. for many years. Right, right. For sure. For sure. Yeah, man. Very Bernie, cool. you're not a pastor anymore. I, I still have all the credentials and do weddings <laughs> and stuff, but I do not get paid by a church anymore. No, I do not. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. And you're doing some awesome stuff with world vision, helping vulnerable kids, running yeah. marathons and ultra marathons. And yet yeah. you still have this heart for pastors. And so for anybody who is in ministry for their career, their calling, or if mm. they want to go into ministry, what are some of the things that you often come back to for people in that position? Right. Yeah. I think um, self-awareness is probably just one of the best um tools, maybe best indicators of how healthy you'll be in pastoral ministry. You just cannot be um, in denial about who you are and, and what you're about. And, and you can't lie to yourself. We love to lie to ourselves. We love to sell ourselves on who we think we are, who we think we should be. And that's not really who we are. And so I think self-awareness and, and, and then being humble enough to seek out um, some 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 mentors some um some you know everyone uses the terminology accountability partners you can use that but you need some allies and you need some friends when you're in ministry you need some friends that will be there with you no matter what you and you know that and you need some friends that are there that you know are on your side and are pulling for you but they'll also tell you the truth you know and so i would say self-awareness and, and acquiring friends is huge that is so huge because with some of the pastors who I've worked with and who I know, some of my best friends are pastors. Right. Friends are so hard to find mm -hmm. because anybody who's going to my church yeah. is looking to <laughs> me in a professional way. Right. The elders and mentors and maybe my senior pastor, he's my boss. Right. Um, right. My family is, is great. They're <laughs> not able to provide that. Right. Space right. of being a friend because I'm hurting them too. And so it's right. it's not the same. And so, man, a good friend is hard yeah. to find. It is. And I, I think, you know, I experienced it in ministry, especially early on in ministry. Uh, and later on in ministry, I got I got better at not being lonely. But I, I, there, there are many times of feeling extreme loneliness and isolation as a pastor. And those are moments when you're vulnerable. Those are moments when you could potentially find yourself 
traveling down a path that you really don't want to and seeking out something that will relieve, you know, we, in, in recovery circles, you talk about being hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And I'm thinking to myself, pastors experience that all the time. <laughs> I mean, that's, mm-hmm. it's almost like that's a constant reality in many ways for pastors, sadly to say, you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're hungry for food. You may be hungry simply for some affirmation, Amen. Some, some affection for someone to simply say that, hey, pastor, we see you and you're more than a pastor. You're a human being. And very often we don't we don't humanize pastors enough. And so, um, you know, yeah, so it's it's this it's this um, awareness of the fact that we are human as pastors. You're not Superman and, and you're not Jesus. You are human. You come to the table with a level of brokenness because your past hasn't been perfect. Your parents weren't perfect. And your your life up until this point when you're entering ministry and leading churches hasn't been perfect. And if you fail to acknowledge that and, and operate from an understanding that you have some brokenness in you, then you will take that brokenness into that church and it will, it will, it will impact that church. Um, again, we don't have to look very far back to find the stories of pastors who failed miserably. Um, I count myself on that list, but some failures are more dramatic than others, especially when your influence is great. Right. And so we could name a bunch of them right now. Right. And so could those have been prevented? Probably so. Probably so. If, if there have been potentially the right people that they surrounded themselves with, people that could tell them the truth, people that would remind them of their humanity, people who would call them to account and, and people who would uh, challenge them to, you know, to, to think about what they're doing and why they're doing it. And, and and I'm I'm doing my best not to sound judgmental, but because I, again, I count myself on that list of, of major failures, but, you know, but, um, there are some things that, that we could have done to be more or that people can do. And I could have done to be more aware and to take, to make different choices. And, um, it's tough, you know, and it, and it breaks your heart when those things come out. Um, yeah. So it does. And now, now that you've gone on this healing journey, you're reversing the curse every Tuesday night, you get to be one of those safe people telling the truth and, providing that affirmation and that affection that yeah. porn is promising, but never delivering. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And I, I think, um, it, you know, it's, it's a bit of a, a, a challenging thing, you know, how much, how transparent um, and how vulnerable can a pastor be, you know, in the setting of their church. And um, that's, that's a tough thing, but I, I do think that as the pastor you know, represents this vulnerability to his congregation, it will help determine how healthy that congregation will be. In other words, you know, if you, if you looked at a a church out there and you looked at, you know, the number of men and women, because women get addicted to porn too, I would venture to guess that to the extent that that pastor has been very vulnerable and very um, authentic with his congregation, you can, you can probably gauge to, you know, at what level of, of, of involvement in pornography you would find in that church. In other words, where you find a healthy pastor, I think you're going to find a little bit healthier church. Um, 
And, and at the end of the day, I think it is about this sense of being well, uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, and when we see it modeled in front of us, when we see a pastor that's taking time for Sabbath and resting, when we see a, a pastor who's willing to uh, admit when he was wrong, when we see a pastor who's surrounding himself with people who hold him in check and he doesn't have all the power, when we see a pastor who, who has his, his spouse or she has her spouse by her side all the time, and there's never this, you have a healthier congregation, I really do believe, as the pastor goes in many ways. Now, that doesn't, that's, you know, that's not 100% true, but I think you find healthier congregations. Amen. Yeah. If the leader is willing to go first. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Everyone else has the gift of going second. And and if they're if they're yeah, they have the gift of going second and they have the gift of of being willing to address their areas of pain and brokenness. If if the leader has modeled that, right? If if I've been willing to address my pain and my brokenness in a in an appropriate way, I don't need to vomit all of my junk out on my congregation. But if if they can see that I've, I've, I've been, you know, I talk about how I'm visiting my therapist um, and the breakthroughs that I've had, then that, that's a healthy thing. And I think that it gives, like you said, it gives the church permission to go second and they find hope and healing and, and wellness through that journey too. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Let's pumped right. Up. right, man. No, it's, we're in this together. We really are this, this foolishness about how, you know, we're, we just kind of all, it's just me and Jesus, man. And I just got to get there. And no, I'm, I'm here. You're my brother. You're my sister. I want to see you do well. I want to see you live well. I want to see you experience fullness of life. And, and yeah, and, and I'm not here to, to judge you and to bring you down as much as I am to encourage you and lift you up and see you um, live with peace and <clears throat> have a successful marriage and, and be successful uh, and raising children and all those good things. So, yeah. Amen. Uh, awesome. Bernie, thanks for being with us today, man. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. I love it. It's It's been fun. Um, man, conversations like this are, are huge just for me personally in terms of just, you know, staying focused and not getting distracted. Staying, that's right. Staying in the, in the game, staying in the, in, in the journey and, uh, I just appreciate it, man. I appreciate your energy, your willingness to to have the conversation. Uh, we're still, we're still in some spaces. You're struggling to have this conversation. Not everybody wants to talk about porn and brokenness, and you know they're kind of they'd rather talk about I don't know what they want to talk about, but you know um, they they don't want to talk about some of this real stuff that's affecting and impacting uh, so many families. I mean, you know, I, every. I used to tell people it wasn't, there wasn't a week that went by that I didn't get contacted regarding this issue in some way. Right. Um, it was, maybe it was a, a DM on social media, a phone call left at my church, a, you, you name it, people would reach out. Um, and it was even this past week, somebody reached out because it just, it, it really is impacting so many people. Okay, well, if you're saying that, how can people reach out to you? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, social media, I'm, I'm uh, Pastor B or Pastor Bernie uh, on Twitter. I'm, I'm Bernie Anderson on Facebook. 
Um, you can email me. Uh, you have my email address. Yes, um, I'll put it all in the show notes. Yeah, put it in the show notes, and, and I'm then happy of course, to chat with anybody. Yeah, and, and then the conference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So yeah. So I'm looking forward to that, Bernie. What is your favorite thing about freedom from porn? Ah, <sighs> man, it, it's the enormous sense of peace. It is the gift of peace that God has given me. That's probably primary. I am. Um, I'm not. I'm no longer paranoid. I'm no longer constantly being worried about people finding out. I just. Yeah. I'm. There's a lot of peace, and I would probably say secondarily to that, there's no shame. There's no. There's no sense of this. Um, you know, I'm just this awful, terrible person, uh, and and I can never be anything else. Um, but there's a sense of peace. There's a sense of just, you know, God loves me and he is for me and he is on my side and he, he forgives me and he cleanses me and washes me clean. So yeah, man. And I live in that and I bask in it, man. (laughs) So it's good, brother. I love that basking in it. Oh yeah. Just savoring. Savoring the goodness. Yeah. Amen. Beautiful. Well, this was really fun. And for everyone else out there, always remember, you are God's beloved son. In you, he's well pleased. Mm-hmm.